This podcast contains adult language and content. Listener discretion is advised. If you have a story to share, send it to let's not meet stories at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. This happened when I was in my early 20s. My best friend was always getting into risky things. While she did various drugs, I was always more of a pothead. My best friend's name is Karen, and she was always down to meet new people. She used to friend request random people on Facebook or Instagram. She would ask me to tag along when she planned to hang out with the people that she met on social media. I basically served as a buffer just in case things didn't click in person. One day Karen came over to my house unannounced and wanted to go to her uncle's house since her aunt was there and her aunt had some goods. Her aunt and uncle were known as the dealers in the area. So we went. When we got there, she revealed, Hey, I met this guy online. He goes by Joey Crack. Then she showed his pictures to me and her aunt. Joey Crack was a wide-set man with a red, goofy face, face tattoos, cornrows, and a gold grill. I laughed and said, Wow, Karen, you really know how to pick him. She had already invited him over, so upon his arrival, he just walked right up and gave Karen a hug and everyone else a kiss on the cheek. In this part of town, There was nothing around, just houses, a school, and some woods. The closest store was 20 minutes away, so it struck me as odd that he walked here. So it was me, Karen, her aunt, her aunt's friend, and Joey Crack all hanging out. We sat down and had three joints in rotation. By this time, both Karen's aunt and her friend were high as a kite on coke. They took a few puffs from one of the joints and then went inside the house, leaving me and Karen with Joey Crack. Joey then starts asking us questions like how we know each other, and what we did for a living, etc. It was getting late, so I started to tell Karen that I was going to go home. She asked me not to go yet, but I told her I was tired. I also told her that I thought Joey was weird, and that he kept hitting on me. She then told me that he asked to sleep with her, and also asked if I was down. I laughed it off after a bit of silence, and I deflected as I heard some noise that was coming from the darkness. It was Joey coming over to see if Karen was making progress on his request. After a bit of small talk between Joey and Karen, he got the hint that neither one of us was interested in sleeping with him. It was just a hangout. This shifted the mood in such a way that you could feel it, It was suddenly eerily quiet. He got reserved and shifty-eyed as I sat back down to please Karen. I turned to Joey, knowing that he walked here and it was getting dark, and I asked, What are you about to do? I'm about to go home and Karen's coming with me. 
he replied. I just texted my boy. He's about to come get me. As he was texting, Karen was right behind him, watching him. Her eyes grew wide, and she looked at me, which was our silent girl code for what the fuck. Karen broke the silence and asked, Hey, can you come help me get this thing that's inside? I followed her inside and she then said, I'm calling my uncle so that he can take us to your place. Why? I replied. My house is like a 10 minute walk away. Then Karen said that when she was watching Joey text, he was telling whoever he was texting a bunch of information about all of us who were there. He noted that her aunt and her aunt's friend were high on coke. He was telling his boy to come over to basically rob and assault us. He even called dibs on the quote-unquote blonde one. By the way, I'm the blonde one. Every hair stood up on my body with the thought of some gross goon trying to have his way with me. I was furious because she got me into this shit. We went back inside the house and continued our conversation with him so he wouldn't get suspicious. Then Karen mentioned that her uncle was on his way home. Her uncle pulled in just moments later, and I breathed a sigh of relief. Karen's uncle briefly spoke to Joey, then Joey departed into the darkness before his ride even showed up. Karen and I got a ride from her uncle to my house, and on the ride we noted how weird Joey was. Well, later that night as I was going to bed, I checked my Facebook and I had a friend request from Joey along with the message. You're so pretty. I would love to have some alone time with you without your friend. The message ended with his number. I never blocked someone so fast. Karen surprisingly didn't learn her lesson about meeting random people online after this, but that's another story for another time. A week later, Joey was in the news. He was wanted for assault, robbery, and drug possession. A bullet well missed on my part. So Joey Crack, let's not ever meet again. This happened when I was 18, living on my own for the first time. As a freshman in college, my days consisted of going to class in the mornings, then getting Chipotle, and going back to my apartment to smoke weed for the rest of the day. I did this nearly every single day. Me and my roommate, who we'll call James, had a close friend from high school who would stay with us often. We'll call them Tyler. Tyler would come over to smoke at our apartment regularly, since we had a safe place to do so, as he couldn't smoke at his parents' house, where he was living at the time. One night, Tyler was over, and we were smoking per usual, when we decided to go for a walk around the apartment complex. It wasn't late, it was maybe about 8pm. As we were walking, a pair of guys who looked to be a little bit older than us approached and asked us if we had any weed. James, the dullard of the group, immediately said something along the lines of, yeah, we could get you some. Tyler and I were already in the process of saying no as he blurted that out to them. 
as we lived in a state where you actually had to be really careful about weed possession. The next thing we knew, James invited two guys into our apartment to smoke with us despite our discontent. So, the two guys came into our apartment, we smoked, and the whole time, they were being weird. One of the guys kept making jokes about being an undercover cop. He said, Notice how I am not inhaling all the way? Undercover cops can smoke weed. As long as they don't inhale, it's fine. Now, in retrospect, since these guys were just a little older than us, it was clear that they were totally messing around with us. But it freaked me and Tyler out. So much so that after the two guys left, we insisted on going and hiding our bags of weed before the inevitable police raid rained down on us. Again, I know we were stupid for actually thinking that they were cops, but we didn't know any better at the time. We were paranoid, and all we could think about was the possibility of getting a misdemeanor weed conviction, which carried a $1,000 fine and one-year probation. Well, these two guys do not end up being the creepy part of the encounter. Tyler and I, in a state of weed-induced paranoia, we've all been there, decided to go hide our backpack full of weed in the woods outside of the apartment complex until we could confirm that our apartment wasn't going to be raided. By this point, it was probably 1.30 a.m. So, we set off on our journey into the woods to hide the weed. As we were walking, we identified a few landmarks to ensure that we could find it again. Because God forbid, we lose that ounce of weed. We felt a lot better after hiding the evidence and setting back towards the apartment. We re-entered the complex, walking towards my unit. As we were rounding the corner to my building, I heard the sound of the pant legs of athletic pants sweeping together. It sounded as if somebody were running, no, sprinting up behind us. Before we could even turn around, we heard a deep voice from behind yell, Get on the ground! I turned around long enough to see a masked man pointing a gun right at us. Tyler and I both immediately hit the deck as he screamed at us, demanding that we give him all of our money. We were 18, so needless to say, we weren't exactly carrying large amounts of cash on us. In fact, we weren't carrying any cash at all. We emptied our pockets, and all we had were our cell phones and empty wallets. The man became increasingly angry and told us to get up and face away from him. Now, this was already scary enough, but this is when it got extremely terrifying for both of us. Just a couple of days before that, two teens had been brutally murdered in our area in the same fashion. They were both forced to face away from their killer, and they were ultimately shot execution-style in cold blood. Law enforcement hadn't caught the guy yet, and this was all either of us could think about in that moment, as it was a highly publicized crime that everyone in our area heard about. The guy proceeded to instruct us to walk. He walked behind us all the way to the exit of the apartment complex. As we exited, we heard the sound of running again, but this time, it was away from us. We slowly turned around and realized that he was gone but we were still so freaked out that we just kept walking. We finally called a friend to come pick us up from a nearby Waffle House. To this day, 
I am so glad that we only suffered psychological harm rather than physical. Oh, and by the way, we went back to the woods first thing the next morning and picked that backpack up to continue our era of stoner degeneracy. DraftKings Casino is bringing you only the best. Classics like blackjack, roulette, and slots, plus exclusive games that you won't find anywhere else. It's a ton of fun. They've got all of the games that I like, but my favorite has to be blackjack. I've just started learning the strats, and I'm having a blast. Download the DraftKings Casino app now and use code MEET, M-E-E-T. New players get an instant deposit match up to $100 in casino credits when you deposit $5 or more. That's code MEET, only at DraftKings Casino. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly 21+. plus. Physically present in Connecticut, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia only. Void in Ontario. Eligibility and other restrictions apply. One per new customer must opt in and make minimum $5 deposit within 7 days. 168 hours of registering new account. Max match $100 in casino credits, which require one-time playthrough within seven days, 168 hours. See terms at casino.draftkings.com slash new player. Offer 2024. I've been hiking on a wooded trail near my house for about three years now. This trail is my favorite due to the beautiful waterfalls and meadows that I get to see as I walk along. But I have had several creepy encounters over the years. Luckily, I always hike with my 90-pound Bernese Baker. He's the sweetest dog, but he will protect me. The first encounter I had was three years ago in the winter. I was walking up a hill, and Baker started growling unlike anything I had ever heard. I looked around and I realized there was a man in the shadow of the woods. He was watching us. When I noticed the man, he started to walk slowly towards us with his head covered. As I said hello, as usual, he didn't respond, so I kept walking. I got a feeling that I should turn back, and when I did, I realized he had turned around on the trail as well. He appeared to be walking behind us. Again, this was in the middle of a hill, so this wasn't a common turnaround point. And once he saw me watching him, he walked into the woods and stared out at the valley, hugging a tree. Around wintertime, a year later, Baker and I were walking on the same trail, and again, Baker started growling. When I finally spotted the disturbance, I realized it was the same man from the winter prior. He was standing off in the shadows, watching us again. I figured Baker scared him since he was standing so far away from us. He appeared to be waiting to cross the bridge up ahead, but he was just standing there. We continued ahead, crossed the bridge, and kept walking. 
I again got the gut feeling that we should turn around. When I did, I realized he was behind us. Now he had no reason to be waiting for us to cross the bridge, so something felt off. I sat down with Baker on my side, and I pulled my phone out while making it clear that I saw him. He stopped when I turned around, but he continued to walk after I pulled my phone out. I started walking back and found a large stick that he had left on the trail. It had been sharpened into a spear. I took the stick and continued walking while looking at my surroundings the entire time. Now, I know I should have reported it, but I just convinced myself I was being paranoid. Fast forward another year later. It was winter time again, and I was walking along this same trail. It was snowing, so the trails were mostly empty. As Baker and I were walking, I suddenly saw a bunch of trees with frowning faces made out of snow, despite not seeing anyone on the trail for miles. Baker again growled at something in the woods that I couldn't see, so we turned around. I didn't report it because I still assumed I was being paranoid and figured that it would never be taken seriously. Then a few months later, I was walking along the trail and I found a tree with I see you written in chalk. I immediately got this weird feeling so I turned back and finally reported it with the park rangers and the police. I'm currently working with the park rangers to keep an eye out. After sharing my story in hiking groups on social media, several women have come forward with similar experiences at the same place. Two women were stalked by a man in a full snowsuit in the middle of July on this trail. Another was followed all the way to her car with him appearing intermittently along the way. He was watching from the woods. Every time I check the comments on my story, I find that more women have come forward with similar experiences, with a similar-looking man, at the same park. They've all reported their experiences to the park rangers. I was even interviewed by the local news. I assume my post was shared with them, so they reached out for an interview. Someone wiped the I see you message that was in chalk before the news team could see it. The word was spread, and the rangers are not happy with me for sharing this so publicly. But that's fine with me. Everyone has a right to know, and everyone should know. In my continued correspondence with women who have messaged me about this man, I have found out that he is unstable and spends most days at this park. Apparently, he's an old park ranger himself. He has a secret spot in the woods where he has a chainsaw and gasoline, even his cousin has reported him to park rangers. I updated the rangers with this information as I'm pretty sure having a secret campground in a public park is illegal, with or without a chainsaw. Not to mention, stalking and intimidation are forms of harassment, so there's no reason why he can't at least be questioned by law enforcement. My mom passed away in 2019, and my dad passed away five months later. They had great morals and truly believed in do unto others as you would have them do unto you. They were funny, 
always kind to people, and they treated me and my sister as fairly as possible. Once my dad passed away, we contacted a lawyer who was appointed as executor of the will. He had retired and moved on, and he said that he was too busy to perform the duties. I knew that I could not do it as my brain was reeling from the loss, and I just couldn't focus. My sister, Kate, is not good with money or numbers, so we decided on a somewhat neutral party. Her fiancé, Frank. Looking back now, I know that this was a huge mistake. Frank had lost his mom a few years prior and claimed that his sister took care of almost everything. He said that he would make sure that we wouldn't have to go through the same things his sister did. He was always nice to me and my two kids, so I trusted him. We assigned the position to him, and then he changed. Now let me set the scene. My home is directly across the road from my parents' home. I can see their house from mine. My daughter loved it because she had a close relationship with my parents. Frank and Kate's home was beside mine. Kate told me that Frank wanted to have a family meeting with me. At this point, it was eight months after my dad's passing. Kate and Frank decided that they were going to purchase my parents' home, so they started moving in. Now, I had an issue with this, as they hadn't put their house up for sale, and they just took over this house. Their house wasn't going to be an easy sale, as they were hoarders. They had a narrow path to walk through their home. They also had cats and chickens inside their house. At least the horses were outside, though. They also used my dad's truck as their personal vehicle after paying it off with estate funds, which there wasn't a whole lot of to begin with. Back to the family meeting. We went over, and my husband came with me for support. I was gently telling Kate and Frank that they needed to do certain things. My husband calmly said, he didn't think that they should be altering our parents' property as it wasn't legally theirs yet. Frank got up off of the couch and started screaming at my husband, inches away from his face. How my husband kept himself from knocking Frank out is amazing. I got up and walked out, and my husband followed me just one minute later when he realized I was gone. After this, Frank told me I had to return my dad's two guns that I had inherited. I reluctantly did as he said and returned them. Then he told me he had the power to make sure I got nothing. Every time I went over to go through my parents' things, Kate would sit in this chair and tell me that she was going to supervise. She had the final say in what I could and could not have. I am honest to a fault, and I let her know that I felt like I was a thieving criminal every time I went over to our parents' house, since I wasn't allowed to be over there alone. Shortly after this, I just couldn't do it anymore. Kate had come to my house a few times, saying that she was mad at me for something or something my kids did. I finally had to ban them from my property. My daughter's bedroom has a clear view of my parents' house. Once summer came around, Frank would sit or stand in the driveway, staring at our house. Kate would sit on the front lawn and stare at our house as well, and sometimes they would just walk by and stare inside. This started when my kids were 8 and 11. 
My daughter, being 11, seeing this, of course, would creep her out, as well as myself. I ended up having to retain my own attorney and eventually found that Frank and Kate had spent all of the money, including the money that my parents left for my kids. Things have gotten very ugly. Frank is on lawyer number three after being separated from the first two for being dishonest. He even went as low as saying, my husband physically and mentally abused Kate under oath. My husband hasn't done anything to Kate at all. Of course, this bothers him as Frank is trying to deflect his own wrongdoings and paint my husband as an evil character, which he isn't. My husband works far away, so it's just the kids and I most of the time. But all I can think of is the fact that Frank has the guns. I continue to worry that he's going to come after me for exposing his dishonesty and wrongdoings, as I obtained affidavits to prove his lies are legitimate. A few months ago, they were told that they had to move out of my parents' house as they could not qualify for a mortgage, and yes, they surprisingly sold their home in 2021. They managed to find another place to live, three houses up the road from mine. This has been going on for over three years, and it's not over yet. I have no idea what their house looked like when they were trying to sell it, but one realtor refused to try and sell the house because it was so unclean. This does not surprise me. They had six cats in that house, and don't forget about the chickens. You may be asking why I didn't try to buy my parents' home. I did love the property, and it would have been perfect for my family, but the memories have made it too hard for me to move there. And the fact that Frank convinced my kids that it was possessed by demons made them not want to move in there either. And now they're scared of the house. Because of this, my daughter and I have to go through counseling. I still live in fear, but I take as many precautions as possible. I've had sensor lights and cameras installed all around my house, and I keep a weapon by my front door. My parents would be mortified and so angry about how things went. I haven't spoken to either Kate or Frank in two years. It hurts to not talk to my sister, but for the protection of my family, I have to keep it that way. This happened years ago. I was barely 14. My middle school and my best friend's middle school organized a trip abroad to Great Britain at the time. We were going to London, to be exact. We were supposed to spend a few days looking at London attractions, museums, and shops. And it was a really fun trip. Until it wasn't. The day before we were supposed to leave and go home, we were brought to a neighborhood with some interesting shops as we were given some free time for last-minute shopping. Then our teachers and our guide had a brilliant idea. They told us, after our time for shopping was up, we had to meet on a different street other than the one we were on. The street that they wanted us to meet on was 100 meters away, which is less than a tenth of a mile. But, in retrospect, they should not have done that due to how young we were. Plus, most of us had never even been to London. We hardly even spoke English. 
We didn't have a map of the city, and roaming services on our devices were not working correctly. During this impulsive shopping excursion, 90% of the students on the trip got lost. I got lost with my best friend because we went in the complete opposite direction as we were both confused about the directions we were given. We were walking along the pavement and my friend decided to run ahead as we nervously looked around. Since we were separated and we weren't interacting with each other, we didn't look like we were together. At least, that's what I assume due to what happened next. When my friend reached the corner, she stopped to look around. Then, a black car approached me. It slowed down to match my speed. It immediately felt like a scene from a movie. It was broad daylight, and there were a lot of people around, but nobody reacted. I was confused, and I didn't know what was happening. Then, a man stepped out from the car and said, Come with me, and then tried to grab me. I was stunned. I couldn't believe that it was actually happening. At that moment, my friend ran back over to me, grabbed me from behind, and dragged me away. We ran to try and lose the man in case he tried to tail us or get back in the car and follow us. After some time, we stopped and my friend nervously cried. She shook me screaming. Why didn't you move when he tried to grab you? I explained that it was a deer in headlights moment for me. We cooled down and asked some people for help. We were eventually located by our teachers. We didn't tell them or our classmates what happened since we were sure that no one would believe us. When we got back, I told my parents and I never went on a trip organized by my school again. My mom was born and raised in the high country of east-central Montana. She came from ranching people, and her father, my grandfather, was a genuine cowboy. She often worked around the ranch with him, and not much shakes her to her core. But what happened when she had to run into town when I was only eight months did. The ranch that she was raised on was almost two hours away from the nearest town. She had to drive north on a highway for 30 minutes, then she had to drive on a dirt road for another 45 across the Montana high country to get to the ranch where she was raised. I'm emphasizing this because it not only shows how far out in the middle of nowhere that she lived at the time, but it also plays into why this story becomes so disturbing. This happened in the middle of a sunny summer day. My mom had to run into town to get groceries and baby supplies from me. She was driving on the long, isolated dirt road back to the ranch when she reached into her purse in the passenger seat to get something. Whatever she was reaching for slipped out of her hand and into the passenger's side footwell. She then had to stop the car so that she could safely retrieve what she had dropped. She grabbed it, and as soon as she sat back up, she looked into the rearview mirror and saw a man about 100 feet behind the car, running at her. Needless to say, she put the car back into gear and got the hell out of there. The entire time, she was looking back at me in the car seat making sure that I was okay. As she drove away, 
She saw the guy give up on running after her, and he ran back into the ditch to hide. Of course, when she gets home, she tells her mom and dad about what happened. They were stunned. Here's where it gets disturbing. My mom didn't see any cars or trucks parked along that dirt road for the entire way to the ranch. She also didn't see any people walking along the highway or the dirt road, which raises even more questions. How did he get out there? Why was he out there? And even more disturbing, what would he have done to my mom or eight-month-old me? This occurred way out in the middle of nowhere, out in Montana high country. It's wide open and flat grassland with low rolling hills. The only traces of human activity that you'll find are fence posts and maybe a windmill or an old abandoned barn or house. Again, I'm emphasizing this because many I have shared this story with said that my mom should have just called the police. To that, I say, what police? Resources in the middle of nowhere are basically non-existent. There are police in the small town where she got her groceries and supplies, but out in the Montana high country, not much. This is the main reason why people who live out there carry firearms. If something happens out there, people have to be ready to handle it themselves. Rural Montana is not a place where people casually go to hang out. You need to actually live out there know someone who lives out there, or have some business with someone to be out there. The fact that this person was so deep in the high country and seemed to get there without a vehicle is alarming. My point is, any person who made it out that far on foot is not someone looking for a friendly interaction. My mom was a petite 19-year-old woman with her 8-month-old infant in the back seat when this happened. I highly doubt she would have been any help to him. I've only asked my mom about this story twice. After the second time, she told me never to ask her about it again, and I completely understand why. I get messed up thinking about it, so I can only imagine how she felt having experienced the brunt of it. The one thing that she said about this is something that I'll never forget. She said, the more that I thought about it, the more disturbing it became. We'll never know what this guy was out there for, and frankly, I don't ever want to. I work in an area known for sketchy behavior, drugs, abductions, and the like. That being said, this happened while I was working all by myself. The store I was working at had cameras, and I'm a fairly big person. I'm female, and I'm six foot tall. I'm a heavyweight athlete. Though you wouldn't know it at the time due to the amount of layers I was wearing. My friend who we'll call Alex came to keep me company and sat behind a trash can next to a heater that was in the corner of the store. As I was working and visiting with Alex, a man pulled up in a black Lexus. He maintained wide-eyed contact with me the entire time. This made me uncomfortable, but due to my size and appearance, I'm used to having men gawking at me. He continued to stare for a couple of minutes, and then this short man 
slinked out of his car. When he walked in, I greeted him. Welcome in. Generally, this is met with some sort of response, but this guy didn't say anything. He just swiftly walked around and behind the counter where I was. I was cutting an avocado from my lunch and had a knife in my hand. This gave me a very strange feeling, so I sternly said, If you need anything, I can help you over there. I motioned for him to walk back around to the other side of the counter as I explained, You can't be back here. Alex, who was sitting in the corner by the heater, looked up and coughed. The man whipped around, looking at Alex before scoffing. I don't need anything. He then quickly walked out. His behavior was so bizarre, and it left me and Alex with a terrible feeling. Alex eventually left, and when it was my break time, I sat down to study. I really settled in, as I knew that the store was going to be pretty dead for the next hour. Then, three teens around my age came into the store. The one who approached me and started talking was visibly shaking with nerves, and they were noticeably sweaty. I found this strange, since it was freezing outside. As I mentioned before, I made a point of wearing multiple layers due to temperature. And by freezing, I don't just mean extremely cold. You could throw water into the air and it would freeze into ice immediately. Although I found their abrupt arrival odd, I remained calm and I asked what I could get them. The guy in front blurted out, Can you get me an Uber? I replied that I could, which was met with a separate inquiry. I only have cash. Can you give me a ride home? I told them no and explained that I couldn't leave the store, not that there was any way I was going to be driving three strangers, even if they were my age, to God knows where. Then he pointed at the phone and charger his friend was holding. Assuming that he was looking for somewhere to plug it in, I said, there's an outlet right there that you can use. He walked past the outlet that I pointed out and went all the way to the back of the store. He stood right next to my computer, which I had plugged in. I was a little sketched out, so I quickly piped up, Hey man, not that one. And I showed him which outlet he could use. After he plugged the phone in, he, the girl, and the guy that he was with took a seat on the ground. I really wasn't paying attention to them as they quietly talked among themselves. I started to pay attention when I heard the girl say, No, you can't say that. You'll weird her out. Then the other guy urged, Just ask her. I looked in their direction, ready to help as they continued discussing their plan with each other. Instead of re-approaching me, they stood up and suddenly said, Bye, thanks for the help. Then the main guy pulled some car keys out of his pocket. I was in shock as I watched them walk out of the store and get into a car that was parked right out front the entire time. They never came back in, and luckily my manager came in shortly afterwards. It was such a strange situation. Why did they insist on needing a ride home from me if their car was right in front all along?
This happened on a Friday night. I had gone to bed early because I had work on Saturday morning. After reading in bed for a bit, I drifted off to sleep at around 10.30 p.m., only to wake up about an hour later to loud screams and people yelling profanities. I thought that my girlfriend was watching a movie with the volume all the way up, so I went out into the living room to ask her to turn it down a little. Instead, the TV was off, and my girlfriend was staring at the front door with wide eyes. Our apartment is on the ground floor of the building, and our front door opens directly into the lobby of the building. The voices in question were coming directly from the lobby. I couldn't make out the specifics, but in my defense, I was half asleep, and the language of the country I was in is not my first language. But I could make out that there was a lot of swearing involved. My first thought was that it was some kind of domestic dispute, but after listening more intently, I realized it was a group of men out there sounding increasingly aggressive. I looked at the WhatsApp group chat for my apartment building, and to my horror, I saw a message from one of the people in it. They said that there were armed men in the building and advised that we don't leave our flats. The country I'm in is experiencing a significant uptick in crime, and I have heard stories of armed groups of men robbing entire apartment blocks. My first thought was that these men would kick down our door and rob us. One of my dogs started to growl at the commotion. I shushed him, and thankfully he obeyed. Then I heard commotion in the apartment above me, so I went out on the patio to see if I could figure out what was happening. I heard what sounded like a large piece of furniture being knocked over, and women and children were screaming in terror. At this point, I had no idea what was going on, but I knew that they would have robbed us already if that was what they had planned to do. My girlfriend and I decided to hide in a small shed at the end of our patio while we monitored the building group chat on our phones. Our bigger dog silently stood watch outside the door of the shed. His eyes were locked on the sliding door at the end of the patio. Later, I would find my smaller dog cowering between the washing machine and the dryer. After ten extremely tense minutes, I heard the screeching of tires signaling what I hoped was the perpetrators leaving the scene. Eventually, someone in the group chat said that the police had arrived and, breathing a huge sigh of relief, I came out from hiding. Alarmingly, on the floor of the lobby, there were zip ties that had been cut, and the security guard was talking to one of the tenants. The man talking to the guard was bleeding from a large gash on his face. He looked extremely shaken. Over the next few hours, the story would unfold. The man that I saw, with the gash on his face, was a tenant in the upstairs apartment, the one that I had heard the commotion coming from. He was the owner of an import-export business, and for whatever reason, he had a sizable sum of money in cash hidden in his apartment. Someone had obviously found out about it and planned out the robbery that woke me from my sleep on a Friday night. A group of eight men had followed him into the apartment building's garage and ambushed him as he got out of his car, and judging by the gash on his face, they roughed him up a bit. Some of the group of eight had gone into the lobby, surprised the security guard, and zip-tied him. 
The remainder of the group had gone up to the man's apartment to rob him before fleeing the scene. I am grateful that the man wasn't injured any further, but it's fairly chilling to think that armed men were just meters from my front door. So to the armed men who stormed my apartment building, to steal my neighbor's cash, let's not meet. I'm a South American woman, but I have been living in the States for about 11 years now. I first moved to Colorado when I was 21, to the small mountain town of Silverthorne. I was recruited by an exchange student program for college students in South America to come to the U.S. to work and travel during summer break. Up until that point, I had never seen snow in my life, so I was extremely excited to be living in a cold, snowy place for a change. I was going to be working at a very popular hotel in the town of Frisco, not too far from the hotel I was living in. The hotel itself has its own creepy stories, but I won't go into too much detail on that. I didn't know exactly what kind of job I would be doing in the hotel. All I knew was I was supposed to show up there on a certain date and time to talk to the owner, a Ukrainian-American guy who appeared to be in his mid-40s. He was tall, with very prominent eyebrows. I showed up and introduced myself with the basic scant English that I knew at the time. I told him I was excited to start working there. Then he gave me this long, weird stare, almost as if he were analyzing me, and it creeped me out. He then escorted me to the restaurant, where he said that I would be working as a hostess in between delivering room service orders. I didn't think that my English was strong enough back then to work that closely with the public. I honestly thought that I would be working in the back of house with housekeeping or something, but he insisted that I was fine. For those of you who aren't familiar with the area, this part of Colorado isn't too far from Vail, so needless to say, this hotel got very, very busy during ski season. I was dealing with customers from all over the world. When the ski season arrived, I also started helping out as a server during breakfast time, and of course, I got several orders wrong due to my lack of English, which made the owner pretty mad. It was nerve-wracking being around him when he was mad. I remember one time my co-worker was taking a bit too long to wipe down the tables when we had guests waiting to be seated. He grabbed the towel from her and yelled at us to get out of his way and stop being so useless. After wiping the table, he proceeded to toss the towel in her face. Let me just make a small note here to say that this girl was an immigrant like me, with fantastic English, and she had been living in the country for years. He would also try to find ways to show us how dumb, inferior, or slow we were compared to him, an American citizen. Whenever he would act out like this, after the place had slowed down, he would try to backpedal and act all apologetic by buying us drinks at the bar. Sometimes this led him to making forward, unwanted comments about my appearance, or even caressing my legs. I was starting to feel uncomfortable around him, and I always tried not to be in the same room as him. During work hours, I stayed focused on customers and my co-workers, while making sure that I wasn't making any eye contact with him if he were present. On New Year's Eve that year, 
there was a big incident in the hotel that I was living in. I was out with a few co-workers on the night of the incident, but I later learned that one of the residents had gotten way too high on who knows which kind of drug and started chasing down one of my friends, also a South American, in the hotel. This drugged-out guy pointed a gun at my friend, yelled some racist slurs, and made a death threat. The man was arrested, but the damage was done. Most of the students who were living there no longer felt safe. While talking about the incident to one of my co-workers the next day, the boss overheard and immediately rushed over to check on me to make sure that I was okay. I thought that he was being nice and thanked him for his concern. He said that I should not stay at that hotel anymore given the circumstances and offered to let me stay in one of the hotel rooms free of charge for the next two weeks, while I looked for a new place, that is. This seemed extremely generous of him, especially given the fact that the hotel was completely booked since it was peak ski season. I accepted his offer and moved in the next day. I was overwhelmed with happiness as I finally had some privacy. I went from sharing a room with five other girls in a hotel to having my own room, after all. Plus, I got some extra sleep before working my breakfast shift since I was literally living at work. All was well until one night later that week. I was feeling extremely exhausted after being slammed in the restaurant all day and delivering orders to several rooms. I was ready to get cozy in my hotel room and go to sleep. I think it was around two in the morning when I woke up, completely groggy, and I noticed that the door to my hotel room was open. I could see the lights in the hallway gleaming into my room. I then noticed a silhouette of a tall person standing inside my room, watching me sleep. I couldn't see the person's face, but I could tell that it was a man. And as I realized what was going on, I heard a metal clinking noise, as if they were about to take their belt off. What the fuck? I yelled. Then the man exited the room. The next day, I told management and my co-workers. I said there was definitely someone in my room the night before. They said I was probably dreaming, or maybe it was someone from housekeeping entering the wrong room. Wrong room at two in the morning? Housekeeping? I don't think so. The owner didn't comment. In fact, he stopped talking to me, or even acknowledging my presence altogether after that. I was relieved, of course. Luckily, nothing else happened. I moved on, got a new job, a new apartment to live in, etc. About a year after this little incident, while checking the local Summit Daily News, who do I see on the front page but the owner of the hotel? He had been arrested for getting two female hotel guests far too drunk at the bar and letting himself into their rooms once they had crashed for the night. I read their story and found that they had woken up, and there he was, standing in their room staring at them, getting ready to make his next move. Sound familiar? They screamed and called the police immediately. So, was it him in my room that night? I'm 99% sure it was, but I'm kind of relieved I never found out for sure. It's rather likely, though. What creeps me out the most about this situation is thinking about those nights I completely crashed after one too many drinks. The altitude can highly affect your alcohol tolerance, and 
It really did for me. I'm from sea level and not a big drinker. But there were a few times when I woke up with zero memories from the night before. So, the unsettling questions are, was that the first time someone had entered my room during my two-week stay? And how many more guests in this hotel had this happened to without them even realizing it? Thanks for listening. Make sure you stick around after the music if you're a patron for your extended version of this week's episode. If you want to get access to that, hours and hours of bonus content and ad-free episodes, head over to patreon.com forward slash let's not meet podcast to sign up and support the show today. This week you have heard Joey Crack by Simulation Error, Dodged a Bullet Almost Literally by Anonymous, The Shady Executor by Gina, Am I Being Followed by Fuzzy Map 922 Black Car in London by Lorelai. The more I thought about it, the more disturbing it became by Stephen Everill. Creepy Man and Strange Teens at My Work by Morbid Reflection. Armed Men Outside My Front Door by Cloud Pleaser. And finally, The Creepy Hotel Owner Who Thought He Could by Dalmatian Mom. All of the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. If you have a story to share, send it to let's not meet stories at gmail.com. Let's not meet a true horror podcast is not associated with Reddit or any other message boards online. Make sure you check out the new episodes of my other podcasts like Odd Trails, my true paranormal podcast, and the old time radio cast at crypticcountypodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you all next week. Everyone stay safe. Back in 2006, I was 18.